All right. All that to lead us to uh, the message for today. Now, this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, every year, the first Sunday uh, of the year, what we do is a little something called the State of the Church Address. Now, it sounds really formal and very boring. I'm going to try to not make it formal or boring, but I didn't know what else to call it. And so if you've got a better name for next year, uh, I'm taking uh, any and all advice for it. But what, we, what I wanted to begin with was, why do we exist as a church anyway? What is the purpose, the reason behind these church gatherings? Maybe you've asked yourself that before. Maybe you're asking yourself that right now. Like, what? I don't know what I'm doing here. I just showed up. And so I want to refer to Scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. This is what the Apostle Paul says concerning uh, church gatherings at large. Ephesians 4 verse 11 he shares in verse 11 what some would call the fivefold ministry of Christ. And he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So there you have the fivefold ministry. But here's the verse that follows that up For equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and for edifying the body of Christ. And so the reason we come together and we gather as a church group collectively is to edify, but also to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I shared this with you before, that the evangelistic outreach of the church is not me, it's actually you. You're the evangelist of the church. You have the opportunity. You, you go into the different parts of our community, to the Walmarts, to the jobs that you have, to inside your families. You have an opportunity to evangelize, to be Jesus with skin on in the places that you go, to the highways and the byways. And so what we do, the reason we gather here is to equip you, to give you tools in the tool belt that when you go, it's not only things for you to consider, but then also things for you to share and encourage with others. So some things that we do here that are different than others, some things that, di that distinguish us, some distinctives that we have, is uh, first of all, we simply teach the Bible simply. That's a, a, a thing that we like to share because that's really the mission. It's to simply teach through the Word of God. And we do that. We teach through the Word of God so that people can learn the God of the Word. We're not studying just for the sake of knowledge, that wisdom is actually the application of knowledge. And so the desire here is to simply teach through the Bible so that you and others can know the God of the Word. This is not a manual, a reference manual you go to just when you have problems. This is actually a love letter from God to us. Him communicating with us in black and white. And so we study through the Bible for that very reason. Now, when we talk about a very exciting topic, that being church government, what does the structure of our church look like? And it's something that uh, people have called the Moses model. So if you think about Moses coming through the wilderness, uh, he was given direction by God, and then he shared that direction with the people, with the masses at large. Now, the nation had gotten so big that for Moses, it actually got to be too much for him to handle. So when his father-in-law his father Jethro came to visit, he looked at Moses answering all the questions from all the people, and he said, look, this thing is not good. This is, you are answering and doing way too much, so appoint leaders, and as you get direction from God, share that with your leaders, and then your leadership can share it with the congregation at large. And so we see this model laid out in the Old Testament, and we have applied that to the church at large. And what that means is uh, the pastor gets direction or a word from the Lord. He then assembles a leadership team, and then 
between him and the leaders that is shared with the congregation. Now, what does that mean uh, to you? What that means is no business meetings. None. Zero. I've seen more churches fall apart and more fights happen at business meetings because of congregationally led uh, church governments. And I'm not railing on it at all. I'm just saying it's really, really hard. It's very difficult to get a group of people to make a decision where instead in this model, uh, the pastor and the leaders are able to actually make decisions and move quickly and nimbly. So if there's a need in the church, it doesn't have to be presented to everyone. It can be addressed uh, quickly and it can be addressed efficiently. And what it also does is allows room for the Holy Spirit to work. That we're not uh, bogged down with uh, all of the details, the day-to-day operations. And it also allows the pastor to not operate like they're a hireling. Because for many times what will happen is the pastor will be hired by a church. And then guess what? They're now working for the church. So when it comes time for something difficult to be shared, or if you go through the word like we do, verse by verse, chapter upon chapter, guess what? Some chapters aren't that much fun to talk about. So I would personally avoid those if I didn't want to discuss something difficult. But when the pastor is no longer a hireling, he can then be free to share what God has put on his heart. So a few other things then uh, that will distinguish us from other churches. And again, these aren't things to say we're better than anyone else. It's just to give understanding of why we do what we do. The next one uh, revolves around money and finances. Now, uh, what we do not do is we do not ask the church uh, at large to give or to take up a collection for any particular purpose. In fact, uh, we don't make money a big deal unless it comes up in Scripture whatsoever. And the reason for that is, for me personally, I've seen many people get completely burnt because of finances. That there are uh, groups that will meet and they'll have finance committees and they'll be given the task to go to people who they feel like aren't giving enough and to talk to them about their finances and how they have not met their quota uh, as a group. And so that kind of thing just makes me, well, frankly, it makes me want to throw up. (laughs) Because here's the reality. The idea is that the people get is that somehow God is broke. That somehow he's either broke or he can't handle his finances whatsoever. But scripturally, what you'll see is, if you go to Psalm chapter 50, verse 10, what the Lord says is that I uh, own the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth and all the fullness is his. It's all his anyway. So the truth is, if God wants to do something in a church, in a group, if he's got some need that's out there, uh, he can meet it. He can move on people's hearts and meet those needs miraculously and all by His Spirit. And when we put it out there and we beg and we plead and we cry out to people, please give, it instead cheapens what God really wants to do, which is give direction. And so in a large way, what we do is we allow God to direct based upon what He has allowed our financial well-being to be. So if we think we want to do something as a church and yet He hasn't provided the funds to do it, guess what? We ain't doing it. We're not going to do it. Now, if he has provided the funds and he has made a way, then we know this is a way that the Lord can say, yeah, I'm good with you going that direction. Now, what it also does is it takes a lot of pressure off of uh, me from having to talk to you about every time we have a need in the church. We can just simply take that need to God and lay it at his feet. He can take care of any issue. What it also does is it takes pressure off of you. Because you know you're going to be able to come and just worship 
freely. And when we talk about giving, the encouragement there is that it should actually be an act of worship. That giving should be an act of being able to just worship the Lord. That putting a tithe or an offering in the box is a way to be able to do it and celebrate it. What Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says is that we should give cheerfully. Not, uh, not uh, begrudgingly, but actually the word is hilarious in the Greek. That when we put money in the box, it should be funny. We should literally be able to drop money in and go, ha ha, woo, praise the Lord. Because it's hilarious that he lets us keep 90%. That's funny to me. Like it's all his anyway. And so we get the opportunity to give hilariously, to give cheerfully. Now, another thing that I hope and pray uh, distinguishes us and sets us apart is an unpretentious atmosphere. We want to make this place a spot where absolutely anybody can feel welcome. No matter where they're at, whatever their walk of life looks like, they can come in. But here's the thing. We're not wanting them to come in and stay that way. We want people to come in as they are, but not leave as they were. To allow the Spirit to actually change people from the inside out. And as we do that, what will happen is the communication will be very straightforward and lots of times to my uh, discomfort actually be uh, very vulnerable. That it's okay to be vulnerable with one another. There's power in vulnerability. And in fact, if you look, the shortest verse in all the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35, many of you memorized it as a kid, Jesus wept. Have you ever thought about that? Like the Son of God, God in the flesh, actually wept over the loss of a dear friend of his. But the point of that, not to get into all the details of that verse, but was that Jesus was vulnerable. He, was, he, he wasn't too prideful to break down and cry. He allowed himself to connect with the people around him. And we want to do that same thing. We want to be vulnerable with one another. And as we do that... That as we are vulnerable, we are actually working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says. Is that we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What's that mean? That means that we are not prideful like I've got it all together. That I'm a leader at the church or I've been here a long time or I've been a Christian for 30 years so I've got it all together. No, it's I'm working it out just like you. It's one of the reasons why week in and week out I sit on this stool and share Uh, with you. It's not just so I look super athletic. It's that I'm not in a position of standing and preaching as much as I am studying and learning right along with you. There's nothing between you and I. You'll notice there's no altar. There's no stand. There's nothing here because we are working through this thing together. And as we work through it together, it allows us to be vulnerable with one another, to share with one another, and to grow. And so it creates this atmosphere of Uh, unpretentiousness and this quote that I put up on the screen says that pretense is birthed out of pride but unpretentious living is the fruit of humility see when we become pretentious it's just pride we're covering up an area that we don't want to address or talk about and so unpretentiousness is the atmosphere that we hope to create and as we do that all that combined together to say we will teach through the Bible verse by verse line upon line chapter upon chapter, what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, is that I have not shunned to share with you the whole counsel of God. What Paul was saying is, I taught everything from Genesis to Revelation. 
I taught it all to you, shared it all with you. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And the issue with uh, sermonettes is they end up making uh, Christianettes. We don't have all the tools in the tool belt because we didn't share the whole counsel of God. And so again, it's not to make us better than anyone, but what it does is it shows how we are different. It makes us very, very necessary in this area where, frankly, there is a famine in the land. There's a famine of the hearing of the Word of God, of an understanding. That doesn't mean people don't have access to the Bible. There's access to the Bible all over. It's on every phone. It's in almost every single house and apartment all around here. People have access, but they do not have understanding. And so the desire is to give understanding, to take uh, this famine and actually provide bread for people to be able to eat and to sustain them. So a few things that uh, distinguish us uh, as a church group. All that to say... How in the world did we get here? How did we get in this spot? So I'll give you a little bit of a history of uh, this place as a church, uh, beginning back at the start of the Calvary Chapel movement. The Calvary Chapel group, which we're actually a part of, while we aren't financially tied in any way, we affiliate with, uh, began in the late 1960s by a guy named Chuck Smith. He was a pastor in denominational Christianity, for almost 20 years, he was burnt out with everything to do with the denomination. And so thinking about leaving the ministry altogether, he ended up taking a little uh, church over that had about 15 people going to it, and it was about to close up. And what he did there was he began to just teach you the Bible simply. To just, uh, he started in the book of Ephesians, and he just began to walk through the Bible verse by verse. And what he found was, more than any topical message he'd ever written, uh, people really began to change lives began to change. Now, what was also happening at this time in Southern California is uh, the hippies were everywhere. And so as Pastor Chuck, this very buttoned-up evangelical minister, was there in Southern California, uh, these hippies were all over the place, and his kids were around that age, and his wife Kay came to him seeing these kids that were seeking. I mean, that's so much of what was happening with the hippie movement is they were looking for an answer through sex or drugs or rock and roll, whatever it was, they were trying to find something. And Kay, uh, Chuck's wife, approached him and said, Chuck, you know what these kids need? And he said, yes, they need a haircut and a bath. (laughs) She said, no, Chuck, they need Jesus. What they're seeking is Jesus. And he began to minister then to this group of hippies, and it quickly multiplied by the thousands they would go down to the beach and they would have these huge baptisms hundreds upon hundreds every Sunday were baptized and the Jesus movement which is actually covered by Time magazine started from this small church at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa as well as uh, modern day contemporary Christian music really began with this movement and you think about this scene you've got this guy who most Sundays would wear a three-piece suit and yet there were hippies all over the place, playing contemporary Christian music. It was this beautiful blend as people came to know the Lord by the thousands. Now, all that to say is that today, out of that, there are some 1,800 Calvary chapels throughout the country. Uh, But when you look at the map on the Midwest, uh, we are in the middle of a dot in Illinois, and you have to go about 150 miles to get to another uh, Calvary chapel. And so we're in this unique spot, 
that all started because we got the opportunity to go to another dot in the middle of a map uh, that was Farmington, Missouri. Now that story, uh, the way that goes, and I'll try to not drag this out too much, is that uh, for me, uh, I was in a place in 2015 where most people would think was rather envious. Uh, at the top of a large corporation, a vice president of a nearly billion dollar organization, and everything that I had uh, wanted and desired to do uh, work-wise had really come together. I was able to provide for my family in ways that I didn't think would be possible, uh, really at the top of the corporate ladder at a young age, at the age of 33. And so here I am at the top of this uh, corporate organization, and yet as I provided uh, the nicest of houses and the nicest of automobiles and everything my wife could ever want, uh, we were absolutely miserable. <laughs> On the outside looked fantastic. Uh, inside, underneath the veneer, uh, it was a train wreck. She was miserable, I was miserable, and at, at this point in time, I was essentially a functioning alcoholic. Every day, I had to have a drink just to be able to feel like uh, the shame, the guilt, the regret, it would feel a little bit normalized. That somehow I could uh, just uh, cope. And even on days when I would say, look, I'm not going to have a drink just to prove I'm not an alcoholic, I thought about it all day. <laughs> so it really didn't matter that I proved to myself, see, I didn't need one. Um, but this was uh, our life at this point. And so as I was at the point of really depression, and if you haven't been in a place of depression, maybe you don't know this, but it really feels like you're in a fog. At least for me, that's what it looked like, that everything was just kind of moving all around me. I didn't know what, what to do or where to go next. But this opportunity came about for us to reset, to hit the reboot key, and to move to Farmington, Missouri. I was building a, a rural king down in Farmington, and I met these two guys, and we were going to have this construction development business, and it was going to be awesome, and I could just pick my family up, and we could go down to southeast Missouri, and we could start all over again. But what you know is um, when you've got problems and struggles and you don't address them, uh, they travel with you. <laughs> So we picked everything up and we moved three and a half hours away from everybody we knew to a place where we knew no one and we established and we sat down and we began to start our business in the fall of 2015. Now as uh, we started the business, what happened was um, day one, things were pretty good. Uh, by day two of the business, the lady that was our accountant came into my office and she said, hey, uh, I need uh, the construction company's portion of the uh, of the fees or whatever we establish as the expenditures for the month. So I said, okay, why, why do you need a check right now? She's like, well, I need it for payroll. I'm like, okay, payroll isn't for two weeks. And I'm the largest one on the payroll. So why do you need a check again for expenses for the month? And eventually, after talking to her for a few minutes, uh, she began to cry. And she said, well, we actually don't have money to cover payroll for last month. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I thought this office and all this stuff and we had it all going on and she said, no, this is all a scam. It, it, this guy doesn't have any money. <laughs> he just sold you a bag of goods. And I had to go home and tell my wife, hey, guess what? I left my executive job. Uh, I moved us away from everybody we knew and now we're stuck here and I'm going to be essentially unemployed rather quickly. So uh, she was less than excited, as you can imagine, and uh, my depression went from me trying to escape it to it just got worse. Uh, so did the drinking, by the way. It, it went to a...
point where I thought maybe it would be better if she just had an insurance check. I could probably make it look like an accident and just make the whole thing go away. So all that led her to a few weeks later say, hey, um, as I'm dealing with all my work stuff and she's dealing with me, for her to say, would you be interested in going to church with me? I'm like, church? Like we, we hadn't at this point been to church in probably five, maybe six years. And so I said, of course, uh, no, I'm not interested. But like a persistent, uh, lovely lady, she continued to ask. And after a couple weeks, I said, look, I will go to church with you, knowing she needed community and people to be around. I'm like, look, if you'll stop uh, running your yapper, I'll go to church with you. That's about how kind I was. And so I agreed begrudgingly to go to church. And she'd asked a couple ladies in her homeschool group, like, where do you uh, go to church at? And so they said, well, we go to this place on the edge of town. It's called Parkland Chapel. And so we made our way uh, in the middle of October of 2015 to see this little building on the left, Parkland Chapel. They were too green. I mean, like, look at that. They look like somebody threw up on the side of the building uh, pole barns, and they were separated. So the kids were in one building, and then there was like a driveway of death where people drive in between, and then the sanctuary was the other building. I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. I'm not dropping my kids off with this bunch of weirdos. So I, I brought the kids in to the sanctuary with us because I'm like, they're at least going to protect me. That's really what I was thinking, but I, I'm protecting the children from whatever these people might do. Now, as we arrived, um, the gentleman... Uh, he sat on a swivel stool, and he just simply taught the Bible. He turned to Psalm 87, and he taught verse by verse all the way through it. And I had, growing up in church my entire life, never heard anything like it, ever. And I was, I was moved inside. Outside, I acted like it was no big deal. But I, I said, hey, how about we go back the next week? I, my wife enjoyed the interaction, the community. We go back the next week, and he teaches Psalm 88. Now I'm starting to clue in on things being a little bit different. The following week, he teaches Psalm 89. And at this point, I'm like, I'm noticing a pattern here. Things are starting to fit together. And I said, Angela, why don't you ask the lady that invited you if they're in some kind of a sermon series? And so the lady laughed and she said, yeah, you could say that. Uh, we've been in Psalms for a year. We're going to be in there another year, bud. I'm like, oh, okay. You guys really teach through the whole Bible. That You teach this whole thing. It's amazing. But what was happening is, as the pastor was just simply teaching through the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit was ministering to me. All my issues and all my problems, they didn't go away overnight, but what took place in the middle of November of 2015 is we landed in Psalm 94. And as uh, Pastor Mike was in Psalm 94, here was what he read. He said, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. And skipping ahead to verse 18, if I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. And in the multitude of anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. I was in the middle of a complete hellish storm when it came to our finances and work and a business that was going down like the Hindenburg. And as I'm in that spot, this is what the Lord says through Pastor Mike sharing, he said, um, God can use ungodly people in ungodly situations to discipline his children. 
And what I knew was that after all those years of walking away and turning away, he still considered me a son. In fact, what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 says is this, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? What son is there that a father doesn't discipline, doesn't love so much that he gives direction to? And I realized for the first time maybe in my entire life that I'm his son. He's allowed me to be in this spot because he loves me so much. And for the first time, the Lord spoke to me that I can remember, and he said, uh, I want you to go home, and I want you to sign the documents and end this thing, and trust me. What, what had happened is the documents to dissolve the business were in my email. I hadn't signed them yet because it was tens of thousands of dollars I was walking away from, and I wanted to fight. I deserved that money. It was mine. And so the Lord said, trust me in this. And that Sunday I went home. I didn't eat lunch. I said, I got to go to my office. I printed off the documents. I never thought another thing about it. I signed it. I scanned it. I sent it. Walked away from the money. Walked away from the fight. Trusting that the Lord would actually take care of us. And what happened was, he did. We started a business in the basement just a few weeks later. And the very first a job that we sold as a small construction company was actually to Rural King that I had left the, you know, six months prior. They hired me back to do a part of my own old job to pay me to run this construction project. Amazingly, God had provided. And so over the next several months, God began to just peel things away. It wasn't immediately overnight. In fact, the first thing that fell away almost immediately was uh, my language, the way I talked, the way I communicated. It was miraculous. It was like all of a sudden the vocabulary that I had used, that I had uh, operated with, that I thought you had to on a construction site, it just disappeared. It just cleaned it like the words were no longer there. Now, other things, not so much. It took a while for my struggle with alcohol to finally be behind me. But what eventually happened was in March of 2016, as Mike was sharing a message, he shared about the story of Saul and the Amalekites. And what Saul, King Saul, was told with the Amalekites was, I want you to completely and utterly destroy them. I want you to wipe out man, woman, child, animal, everything. And it seemed vicious. Like, why would God give that direction? And yet, if you know anything about the story, what happened was uh, Saul didn't do it. He didn't wipe out the Amalekites completely. Instead, he kept the best of the sheep. And he even kept uh, King Agag behind as a trophy. And so as he keeps the king behind as a trophy, uh, he completely lost everything as a result. He didn't listen to what the Lord had given him. And in fact, if you go, if you read through us with the Bible, uh, you'll find when you get to the book of Esther, uh, Haman, this guy that wants to destroy the Jews completely as a nation, what we're told there is Haman was an Agagite. Think about that. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, this group of people, because Saul didn't obliterate them completely, they were going to wipe out the entire nation of Israel. And the point was, of this story, is whatever sin you're not going to deal with, whatever sin you're not going to be vicious with and literally run a sword through to deal with it like that, 
it will potentially come back on you to, to kill you or to affect your family for years and years to come. And so what the Lord convicted me of was, I've got to deal with this thing once and for all. I've got to literally run a sword through this and be done. And so I went down to the basement to my office, which was also a bar, and I loaded up every bottle. I wasn't even smart enough to think about you should have probably dumped out the liquor before you uh, got rid of it. So it was the trash cans were so heavy, the poor guy with the trash truck went to lift it up and snapped the handle off. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that was probably not a great move. That poor guy was out there struggling away. But the reality for me was it had to be dealt with because I have an addictive personality. But here's the thing. What God did was he took my addiction and my struggle and he turned it into something positive because I became addicted to listening and learning and studying through the word of God. I couldn't listen to a Bible teaching. I had to listen to a hundred Bible teachings. I had to listen to every single one I could get my hands on. I listened to every teaching Pastor Chuck ever taught through the entire Bible. They're all out there online for free. Could you believe that? They're there for free. And so I went through uh, all of it. And as God was changing me from the inside out, as he was uh, remaking me a new creation uh, I would find myself randomly just along the side of the road in tears as he would convict me. I remember one morning heading to a job site. I pulled my truck over off of Highway 8, headed to Cuba, Missouri, and I had to just get out and get down on my knees. And as I got down on my knees and just said, Lord, I want to be different. I want to be changed. What he said was, somebody's going to have to tell this story. You're going to have to tell this story. Like, okay. I'm going to have to tell the story. I got back in the truck. I cleaned myself up. I started driving. I'm like, man, I, I don't want to tell this story. I don't want to talk about all that I've been going through. And wouldn't you know, the next week at church, this little guy, Jason Samples, came up and said, hey, uh, Wednesday nights, we do uh, testimonies every now and again. And I don't know why, for some reason, I felt led to just ask if you'd share your story. I'm like, oh, no. Would you pray about that? I'm like, no need to pray about it. God already told me I was going to have to share and so on uh, Wednesday night, May the 4th, 2016, I got the opportunity to stand up in front of a room of about 100 people and share what God had been up to in my life, to, to lay out there what he had done. And as I shared, this amazing burden was just lifted. It was like a, a new lease on life. And so that following day was May the 5th. It was our daughter's birthday, and I was cleaning the camper. We were getting ready to go uh, take her up to St. Louis, up to Yogi Bear uh, Park by Six Flags. And uh, I was cleaning the camper out, trying to get things ready to go. And as I was in there, uh, I felt this uh, weight, but not like a, a offensive weight or something that hurt, but sort of like one of those weighted blankets, you know, you get that kind of lay on your shoulders and, and it began to press down on me. And what I knew was it was the Holy Spirit. I knew that I was there in the presence of God. And so I did what I knew to do, which was I just got down on the floor. I got, I got down and I just said, Lord, uh, whatever it is you'd have me do, whatever place you'd have me to go, uh, I will do it. I, I am completely and totally all yours. And what he said to me was, feed my sheep. I said, yes, Lord, I'll feed your sheep. And he said it again, feed my sheep. I said, yes, Lord. I said, whatever you'd have me do, I will, I will feed sheep. And he said it again. 
And five times he said it. I think because I'm hard-headed, <laughs> he had to say it five different times. But as he said it that last time, um, the weight lifted, and I was able to stand back up again. And uh, if you've ever uh, experienced anything with the Holy Spirit, the best uh, caricature I've ever heard of it is it's like getting hit with a fruit truck. If you survive the impact, it's the sweetest experience you'll ever have. <laughs> and so just this euphoric, sweet experience of getting hit by a truck. But then as I stood up, the Lord said, uh, in two years, everything is going to change. And you need to be prepared to move. So I have this prophetic word now, as well as this Holy Spirit experience. I'm like, this is crazy because I grew up Baptist. This isn't supposed to happen. Like, what in the world? And so I've, I'm feeling like all these confused feelings and we get in the vehicle and we begin to head north to St. Louis and as we're heading, Angela looks at me and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think, but here's the thing. Um, I think I just got called into ministry and expecting her to be shocked. Instead, she said, yeah, I could see that. I'm like, what? Nobody could see that. Like, I'm a, I'm a guy that's a recovering alcoholic and a, you know, a foul mouth construction guy. Like, who could see that? She's like, oh, I could see that. I'm like, okay. That's why I call her the Bond Holy Spirit. And so, as, as we make our way uh, up to St. Louis, uh, God begins to just uh, change things, right? And, and he begins to, to give uh, new life where there was formerly just death. But I've got this prophetic word. I've got two years be prepared to move. And so I share uh, with Pastor Mike and my wife. They're the only two people that I shared any of this with. And as I share it with them, he begins to invest more and more in me. And then as we get close to the end of 2016, he says, hey, I'd like you to pray about uh, beginning to teach the Bible with us starting in 2017. And I said, yeah, I would, I would love the opportunity to teach on Wednesday nights. Uh, but then as I said that, as the words exited my mouth, I'm thinking, I haven't even read the whole Bible. You should probably read the whole book before you agree to teach. So I, like a madman, cramming for a finals, I'm cramming to try to finish reading through the Bible for the first time. And in December of 2016, I finished. And in January the 3rd, 2017, I get the opportunity to teach through the Bible. And uh, got to teach Mark chapter 4. As you can see, there I am. Uh, same kind of pudgy guy. A little more hair, I noticed in that picture. Something's happening here. But same, same witty, as you can see with the message title, the parable of the sower. But um, it was a, a wonderful experience. I knew for the, maybe the first time in my life that I was doing what God had called me to do. Getting the opportunity to just simply uh, feed sheep. Just simply teach what I had been taught uh, in that particular passage. And so it was a wonderful uh, blend of what God was up to in my life. Now, what he also had was still this prophetic word. Two years, everything's going to change. And so we had all these kind of ideas. You know, is God going to send us to Zambia? Are we going somewhere else in Africa? Like, where is he sending us and what's he going to do? How's it all going to change? Now, in April of 2018, uh, a lady in the church had asked my wife if she would please pray about a couple kids uh, in our church that had been in foster care for a couple years, and they were in our children's church, but because of their parents' rights being terminated, uh, they were going to be coming up for adoption and likely go anywhere, maybe somewhere in Missouri, who knows where. And so we were asked to pray 
about this whole situation. So I agreed uh, to pray for them to find a family. And I told my wife, I will pray for them to find a family as long as you know the family is not us. Like, I'm putting some restrictions on what God can do here. Um, but what I found is through prayer, uh, the Lord revealed it that it was us. So as God changed our heart and he uh, directed us to enter into the foster to adopt a program, we found ourselves at our kitchen table in Farmington and the lady from DCFS sitting across the table, she slid the paperwork across that said that at the end of that month, uh, these two children would be moving in with us in the foster to adopt program. And the date at the top of that paper was May the 4th, 2018. Two years to the day when God said, everything is going to change. Now, I was looking for all kinds of things for God to change, but not my family structure. And by the way, if you uh, go from four kids to six or three to six, uh, what you'll find is everything changes. You go from uh, people looking at you saying how cute to like what happened to you. We usually get the response of, uh, don't you know how that happens? That's really encouraging. Or uh, you got your hands full is usually an answer. It happens so much to poor Cameron, she would just look at people when we go to Walmart and she'd go, we have our hands full. <laughs> like, okay, yes. We do have our hands full. Thank you for making that clear. But uh, everything changed from our vehicles to where we had to live. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, God's shown us now what's going to change, and now it's time to move. This house is too small, so we just picked up when we moved to a different house in another part of town. And I thought that I had uh, completed everything that the Lord had from that prophetic word. Uh, that was until 2019 rolled around. Because... Uh, I had had the opportunity to actually meet with a friend of mine, my former boss, who I'd been praying for, for oh, excuse me, I jumped ahead of my story. 2018 happens, I'm actually ordained. So if any of you wonder if I'm qualified, the answer is probably not qualified. But I do have a certificate that says I'm ordained. So I was ordained in 2018, and the little church there in Farmington that was ugly green buildings, and uh, we were able to repaint it and uh, because uh, God's given me like one or two gifts to be able to see things come together, we were able to take uh, a, a church building that was two buildings, build a building in between it, even though they were at different angles and heights. And so actually, uh, this is what Parkland Chapel almost looks like to this day. Uh, they've grown so much that they've now added a new sanctuary on too. So uh, you see, God was up to all kinds of amazing things there as I was now the assistant pastor. Now, all that leads us to January of 2019. I had maintained a friendship with Alex Melvin, who is the CEO of Rural King, and I'd been praying for him a way that I could reach out and evangelize to him. And we had an opportunity to have lunch together in January of 2019, and so I fasted and I prayed ahead of time because I'm, like, I'm going to share the gospel with him and he's going to come to know the Lord. And so all the way there, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, please make a way. And as uh, we sit down to have lunch on that day, uh, before we ever even ordered, he leans over and he says, I got to tell you something so exciting. Uh, in March of this past year, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I just wanted you to know that. I'm like, that is awesome. And in my mind, I'm like, well, crud, that's what I was going to talk to you about. Like, no, what am I fasted and prayed and the work's already done. But what happened is we were able to just have a friendship and a, a discipleship type relationship to share things back and forth with one another. And all that led to a meeting in May of 2019 
where uh, he'd asked me to come in to speak about some things. And then when he'd released everybody else from the room, it was just him and I in the uh, boardroom. And he said, hey, uh, this morning the Lord put it on my heart to offer you a job. I'm like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But now I have a, a business that God's made a success. And I don't really need a job, but I really appreciate that. I will definitely pray about it. And so I proceeded to, uh, to pray through what that might uh, look like. And I told Angela about it, and we were heading on vacation just a couple weeks later. I'm like, hey, on the way to Florida, as we're driving, would you just pray with me about it? And she said, no. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm pretty sure if you uh, are asked to pray, you have to. Like, that's in the rule book. Like, you can't. She's like, I am happy here. I'm established. The kids are in school. I'm not praying with you about it. And so, all the way to Florida, she slept. She showed me she refused to pray. Now, I will say on the way home, she did relent and she did pray with me about potentially moving back because what, uh, what we had both talked about was while we had said, Lord, send us anywhere you want us, uh, I'd also entered in a caveat where I said, just as long as it's not Charleston. I'll go anywhere, but I don't want to go back home. I don't want to go back home where people knew me because in Farmington, I had anonymity, right? I could share these stories, and people never really knew me. There was safety in that. There was a distance that could be kept. But it's a whole different deal when you got to sit in front of people who you knew, who saw you act a certain way, who maybe had heard stories. And so I was terrified to come back here. But she eventually relented, and we began to pray. And what happened, because God seems to use uh, finances to get my attention the most, is that every single project we had going on as a company, we had nine jobs going on at the same time. All of them had a problem, like a financial issue. Every one, we could have withstood two or three, and I would have thought, no, that's just a coincidence. But nine projects all had an issue. And so I realized the Lord is saying, it is time to be done. When this thing went from being fun to not fun anymore at all, it's time to change. So in September... In 2019, uh, I began to close the business with the idea of coming back to Charleston that we would move and make our way back to Illinois. So as we had uh, began to make our plans to come back and, and sharing this with people, the idea was, okay, we've been called to not only take a job, but then also uh, to start a church. And so as I prayed through this, like, what does this look like to start a church? Every Calvary Chapel I knew started in somebody's basement or in a living room somewhere. And so this was my plan, to just start it. We'd probably build a house somewhere. We still had a lot out by the country club. We'd build on, and we would start a basement, or we'd start church in our basement. And then the Lord took me to Haggai. Haggai chapter 1 goes a little something like this. I'm guessing you guys don't spend a lot of time in Haggai. He says, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet and said, is it time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled. You clothe yourselves, but you are not warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go to the mountains, Bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. What the Lord said to me as I read that was, uh, you find the church first and I'll take care of the house. I'll take care of a house for you. So, okay, I instead shifted my focus to finding a church building. 
And we ended up, because a friend of mine's family owned this building, uh, touring this and looking at it and thinking this is exactly where God called us. It's in a neighborhood. It's close to campus. It's set up and ready to go. So in December of 2019, we were able to purchase this building that we're sitting in right here with the promise that the Lord would provide a house. And then the Lord proceeded to not provide a house. And January came, and February came, and now we're into 2020, and it's March, and I'm living in a camper like Chris Farley in a van down by the river. I'm in a camper next to the church, and like it couldn't be more creepy and weird than what was happening. And God is not providing a house, and then COVID hit. I'm like, Lord, now what? We can't even go look at a house. So as I'm about to give up hope, I'm like, here's the deal. I might have misheard God. I'm calling a friend of mine. We're going to start digging a basement next week. So I had plans of our house we lived in in Farmington. We're going back to the idea of building on this lot we'd owned. And I'd always kept this lot as like uh, my fleece for the Lord. Like, if you don't ever want us back in Charleston, would you please sell that lot? And so he just would never, ever sell it. It just sat there forever. And so I'm like, I'm supposed to build here, obviously. So as I'm getting ready to think about meeting this gentleman that morning to start uh, digging the basement or staking it out so we could dig it, um, this little ding goes off on my phone, and it's a Zillow. And it says there's a house with just enough bedrooms and bathrooms, and it's three minutes from where I was sit, st- standing at in the camper right over here by the church like, wow, three minutes. And I look, and it said, it's a three-minute walk. I'm like, three-minute walk? That's around the corner. And so I go around the corner, and it was just exactly what we needed. It, it wasn't more than we needed. It wasn't less than we needed. It was exactly what we needed. And so Angela and I fasted and prayed. Because of COVID, she had to look at it on FaceTime. So talk about a face step for a lady to just see a house on FaceTime. And, and yet there was something funny about the house. Um, because there was no taxes listed at all. And so as we're fasting and praying about it, I I asked the realtor, like, why are there no taxes listed at all on this from the previous year? And they came back and said, well, it's because it's a parsonage. (laughs) It's literally God already owned the house. It was owned by the Baptist church, and all we had to do was just simply uh, purchase it. And so what he said was he was going to take care of the house. He'd already had it taken care of long ahead of time. It had been sitting empty for a year. They were just waiting to make a decision if they were going to sell it or not. So God had lined up all these things. And now here we are headed back to Illinois. We now have a home to live with time to be able to make some modifications that were needed. And uh, as we're headed towards our first church service, we were missing uh, one critical component. We had no worship team. I had asked uh, people if they were willing to come and move with us, and I got a few almost, and then, eh, not going to happen. And so time and time again, we were striking out until eventually my uh, mother and father were at a campground, and they'd heard this young couple, and they got their card. Uh, They were called Jake and Michaela because their whole world had been uh, shaken up. They were playing at this campground that they happened to be staying in. And so uh, mom gave me the card, and I just randomly sent an email to Jake Holt, who I hadn't seen since he was a baby. In case you didn't know, uh, we were just a little bit of, uh, apart age-wise, like he was born when I graduated kind of thing. Um, so I didn't know him at all. He was just baby Jake is what I'd remembered uh, Angela calling him. And, and yet uh, he reached back out. We had dinner with them that next evening. 
and we just shared what God was up to, that the church hadn't started yet, that it was a new plant, and I had uh, sworn that I wouldn't try to upsell them on coming and being our worship team. I was just going to tell them, hey, we've got a few open dates, and by few open dates, I mean like all of the dates are open, other than the first two Sundays, or the first two Sundays booked with somebody and nothing else, and uh, they agreed that they would go and pray about it and get back to me. And so that following Wednesday, uh, this was on a Monday that we met for dinner, on that following Wednesday, I got a text from Jake and said, hey, Michaela and I have been praying about this, and we would be interested in being your worship team. I'm like, what? I just, I was blown away. I was on my way home, or I was on my way back to work after stopping for lunch, and I just cried. I'm like, God, you're so good. Like, here we are just six weeks out from church, and you provided a worship team just in time. You shook up the whole world with COVID, and yet these two are available because of what you did. And so I remember driving back, and, and the other thought that occurred to me was, I've never actually heard them play any music. <laughs> I'd, I'd never heard them play. I'm like, well, God's in it. So, And here's the thing. At this point, I was so desperate. I'm like, Lord, I just want somebody that doesn't suck. Like, I just want people that aren't terrible. And, and, and yet God provided... Uh, professional musicians to be our worship team, which is always a question mark when you come to a new church. And so blessing after blessing, the Lord was in as this church uh, began. And so we arrived then finally at the day, September uh, 13, 2020, our first church service. So much prayer had gone into this. This was the date we set even prior to COVID starting. My pastor said, hey, set a date and see if God changes it. And every way that he could have changed it, he didn't. He just left it all alone. And Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, a man plans his way, but God directs his steps. And so God was directing steps even as we were planning. And Philippians chapter 3, as we were considering all that we had left behind, verse 7 says, But what things were gained to me, these things I counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The quote that I read associated with that says that following Jesus gives us the ability to leave everything to live through anything so that we and others can gain the greatest thing that all the things we thought we couldn't do and shouldn't do and wouldn't do uh, God made a way he, he created this and gave us the ability to walk away and then created something even uh, better in the process now all that leaves us to where are we at uh, today what is 2022 what did it look like in the rear view, if the screen catches up to me, what we saw were uh, two baptisms taking place in our beautiful baptismal. So by the way, anyone interested in being baptized, uh, please let me know. We've got a beautiful baptismal with hot water. So take that, Parkland Chapel. They've got a horse trough. We've got a baptismal with hot water. Uh, what we also saw was a tremendous physical growth in the building. Um, when we started this thing in September of 2020, there were maybe 15 people actually from the area here. Uh, most of the people that showed up were from Farmington, just trying to be nice. I think they wanted to make sure somebody showed up for the first Sunday. And so uh, what we have seen is tremendous growth as uh, God is up to something for sure in this group. What we also uh, have seen through this past year are building improvements. You know, uh, keeping things simple. That's the idea, simply teaching through the Bible, but also trying to make 
access to God's word simple. So the old chandeliers, while they were beautiful, you couldn't see the screens. It made it a little bit difficult. So now with these uh, fancy schmancy can lights, you can see the screens. Uh, front doors that, while they looked beautiful, uh, not very efficient, couldn't actually lock them all that well, and a complete security issue. And so we've got beautiful new uh, front doors. What we also saw was uh, agape celebration. We came together on Good Friday and just worshiped together. It was a wonderful time together. A church camp in July. In November, we got to feed the men's basketball team, which was awesome. There's a picture up there in the top right. And then ministries. We have got a tremendous heart for ministries both here and abroad. And so the opportunity to get to step in and be a financial and prayer support for these ministries uh, project, uh, excuse me, Matthew 25 there on the left, homeless shelter here in town, uh, monthly we're able to contribute to help them pay their bills. Standing Stone, uh, able to work with them to continue to provide not only people, but also financial support. Uh, project Bible Runner, so that thousands of people can have Bibles all throughout the world. We're able to provide support to them monthly. The picture on the bottom right, that is a group of, of Muslim refugees that all got to have Christmas because of what God is up to here. 400 kids got Christmas presents. Uh, Muslim refugees, people you're never going to see this side of heaven. They got to have Christmas as well as hear the gospel message shared through our friend Daniel Messiah and Open the Gates Ministries. And then a ministry we began to support this past year, Asia Center for Biblical Studies in the Philippines. Uh, they not only have a, a school that you can get your associate's degree and then go in as an evangelist to teach people who aren't reached with the gospel, but they also have an orphanage that we're able to give to. And so amazing ministries to get the support, but all that to say uh, God is glorified in the midst of it. So where does that leave us in 2023 with uh, me already running out of time with this story? What it leaves us with are a few things to consider uh, practically. As God is continually uh, saving people and adding to his flock Daily, here is the practical. And by the way, the practical always makes way for the spiritual to happen. We have practical things so that the spiritual things can take place. And so a few things that you're going to see change, uh, we're looking to renovate the lobby, including two uh, new handicap-accessible restrooms in the front lobby. And so a way to be able to help people, to meet them where they're at, to just make it easy to come and worship, as well as uh, fellowship opportunities, including... I'll mention more about this soon, a men's Bible study uh, that we're going to do four weeks of in February. We're going to meet early in the morning and just simply study through the Bible together as a group, as leaders of a household. But then all that to lead way for the spiritual. And over the last several years, I pray for God to give me a word or a verse. Uh, as we started the church in, in the middle of a pandemic, I had to question God a lot in that. He said, here's what I'm up to. I'm purifying my bride. People that came really wanted to be here. You had to be, or otherwise, why on earth would you come to church? All the excuses were there not to be. And so God was purifying his bride. Last year, I prayed for a word, hoping that it would be love or joy or peace, and instead he gave me the word perseverance. And after going through last year, it was a year of uh, perseverance for sure. And, but perseverance creates character, and character creates hope. And so this is what the Lord said. And so as I was praying for a word for this year, um, he didn't give me anything. And as the year, as, you know, these last month or so, I really started focusing in on it, like, Lord, what's a word for 2023? And he gave me nothing. So 
so last week, I had no word at all. We had decided uh, for Christmas that instead of giving our kids a bunch of gifts, uh, we would instead give them an experience. So we told the kids on Christmas Eve, look, um, you're going to Colorado tomorrow. And so Sunday evening of last week, Christmas evening, we were set to leave out of St. Louis to fly to uh, Denver and then drive up into Breckenridge to uh, hang out there for this entire last week. And as we made our way to uh, St. Louis and we got there to the airport, uh, you can see our van was all packed. I mean, that's, some, that's like adult Tetris right there. That's some kind of impressive packing job, if I do say so myself. So we get all our luggage into the airport. We get it checked in. We get our family in there. We're supposed to leave at 10 o'clock at night. But then the flight is delayed and then delayed and then delayed. And then eventually it's delayed to leave at 1.30 in the morning. But at 12.30, we get the text that the flights are canceled. So we've now sat in the airport until 12.30, and our flight is uh, no more. So we, I'm told to go to the customer service line. There are angry people on that line that have been there for four and five hours already. I'm like, I, I'm not standing in that line. I, I pick up the phone. I call Southwest. I get on hold. I'm, I've got the AirPod in my ear while I'm on hold. I'm like, we're going to go down and get our luggage at least. We go down to baggage claim. The guy at baggage claim said, there's no way on God's green earth unless Moses parts this baggage claim that you're getting any of your bags until at least tomorrow. So he said, but you can go to the baggage claim office and check in with them. I go there. There's a line four hours long in baggage claim office. Like not waiting in that line. So, all right, get in the van. We're going back home. So we head out to the van at, after midnight, 1230, and we begin to make our way uh, back home only to find that it snowed after midnight on Sunday night. So Interstate 70 was an ice rink that we drove for three and a half hours all the way home. And we make it home at 3.30 in the morning with no bags and completely heartbroken kids. And I lay down and I wake up at 8.30 and my stomach hurts and I'm thinking about this. I'm like, God, you gave me a word last year to persevere. Perseverance was the word. Like we don't, we don't quit. None of these kids would even be in our home if we quit this easy. And so I woke my wife up and I said, here's the deal. Um, get the kids ready. We're driving. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, get in the van. They can get one change of clothes, get your teeth brushed, and get in the van because we're going to go to St. Louis and this big boy is going to get his bags and we're going to go on to Denver. So we loaded up in the van. About an hour later, uh, I lo apparently looked a little bit like Clark Griswold from Christmas Vacation because mommy said, Daddy's lost his mind. Get in the van. And the five-year-old was going, Daddy lost his mind. Let's get in the van. Daddy lost his mind. So I'm like, stop saying that. Get in the van. So we get in the van. We talk about perseverance on the way to the airport. And we make it all the way to baggage claim. And I'm going to go in there like a hot dog and tell them, give me my bags. And the line is longer. And now they have armed guards in front of all the bags. Like, I'm not going to do that. So I said, here's the deal, kids. You're going to live, you're going to learn what it's like to live with one outfit. Because we're going to Denver. Our bags are going to meet us probably there somewhere. And we're just going to keep on driving. And we continued uh, all the way, all through the night. And we made it to our destination about three in the morning in Denver, and our bags never came. All the winter stuff that we packed, all the things they got for Christmas to play in the snow, they never showed up. Um, but guess what? It was the most enjoyable Christmas we ever had. 
we were able to do it together, and we were able to do it simply. And what we realized is you can live on just two outfits pretty easily. You've got one clean pair, and then you wash that pair that night, and then you've got another clean pair for the next day. And so they learned what it was like to live uh, simply. And the lesson out of that for me, and the lesson I believe the word for this year as God gave it to me yesterday, was one of simplicity. That in our lives, we get ourselves so choked, so bogged down with stuff. And I'm not talking about just physical stuff or living like we're Amish, although there's some things they got pretty darn right. <laughs> but I'm, I'm talking about just living simply. That we didn't need any of the stuff that we thought we needed. It turned out you can rent snow pants. We even knew you could rent snow pants. You can rent about everything. You can buy sweatpants from Walmart. The point was, you can live so simply, but we get ourselves so bogged down that what we do is we choke out what God wants to say, what God wants to address in our lives, and we not only get ourselves bogged down with stuff, we get ourselves bogged down with how we think. We begin to think and develop stories, and so we don't connect with one another because we have all these preconceived notions and thoughts and ideas, and this must be why this, and this, and, and what God wants to say is, this year, I want you to live simply. I want you to unfurl all the stuff you've got clogged up inside your brain because it stops us from having a real relationship with him and a real relationship with others. And so the verse for this year, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, is this. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. And so, Father, thank you. I praise you so much. Thank you, first of all, for people that are gracious to listen to uh, way longer than what I typically go. But thank you, Lord, for your story that is you written in it from beginning to end. Thank you, Father, for a word for this year that was all wrapped up in the word from last year that we, as we persevere, we have an opportunity to live with simplicity. Lord, I pray for this group. I pray that we would all be able to live more simply, to communicate more simply, to have our calendars be more simple. Lord, that the focus would instead be on living with godly sincerity. We'd be a group of people that can communicate directly and clearly and sincerely with one another as we make ourselves vulnerable. So Lord, as we head towards uh, communion here in just a moment, I pray, Father, for you to reveal to our hearts, Holy Spirit, reveal the things that you want us to unpack and unlayer that we have built up over our hearts, that hard candy shell, that we just allow it to stop us. Father, would you penetrate it deep? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Scott, if you and Daryl would come and pass out the elements.